Shalom and welcome to a special mini-series of the podcast, Heretics Standing at Sinai. I'm your host, Rabbi J. Tel Rav, and today is the first day of the Hebrew month of Elul. It is the last month of the Hebrew year, and when we get to the next new moon, it will be the first day of the month of Tishrei, also known as Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. This is the time when rabbis are busy writing sermons and getting our liturgy in order, working with our team to make sure that the experience for the congregants is seamless. And as a part of that preparation, I want to take a break from our normal conversation about the book Open Secrets by Rabbi Rami Shapiro and turn our attention to these moments that are right ahead of us in the synagogue and see if we can find a way to make them more powerful, more meaningful, more real for those times that we plan to spend together. So let's start by remembering what Rosh Hashanah really is and what it's meant to do. It is one of four new years on the Jewish calendar. They're described in the Mishnah, and while we won't spend time talking about them all, it is meant to be an opportunity to note the passage of time. Originally, it was an opportunity for sacrifice and for travel to a central location, but after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the rabbis of the classic period transformed it into an opportunity for self-reflection. They taught that, that it's a time for God to write down our name in one of the books, either the book of life or the book of death, and that that would determine what our next year had in store for us. If our name went into the book of death, then we would not survive the coming year and would not live long enough to see the next Rosh Hashanah. But the opportunity to change God's opinion or decision was still right in front of us, and that was a really important element of how to use Rosh Hashanah. It might be written down at the beginning of this passage of time, but then 10 days later, it was sealed. And the time in between those days is a very potent opportunity. We may not actually have earned it, but we can change God's mind during that time and convince God, so to speak, that the next year we will do better. And so it has come to be known as a time of reflection, of self-analyzation, and of recommitment to serve our best selves out to the world and to be a presence for good. This is made explicitly clear when we call Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement, a day for making new commitments and apologizing for those things uh, where we fell short in this past year. The holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, are still the moment of the year where the most number of people find their way back to the synagogue. So what does that tell you? I have no idea what it tells us, but I have some thoughts of what it could be. It could be expressions of nostalgia. It could be opportunities for spirituality. It could be that some of the folks sitting around you in the synagogue are there because they feel guilty. They have to be there. Where else would they be? It could be because they want to hear the words of the rabbi's sermon. Or it could be the hope that something meaningful will happen to them. Did you ever wonder what's happening in the hearts and minds of all those other people sitting there on those holy days? I'm fascinated by this question. And I ask it all the way through the experience every year. I look from face to face and I wonder what's happening for that individual. These next four weeks, the weeks of the month of Elul, heretics standing at Sinai will step away from Rami Shapiro's book 
and we'll look into the High Holiday prayer book instead. I'm not looking to change the way that you interact with the prayers. Some of you listening love the messages and you love the experience just as they are. And then this series might be an opportunity to simply look at the liturgy in another way. But if you find the holiday prayer experience to be an obstacle to your spirituality, then this series could demonstrate a non-dualist's way of approaching the material in a way that might speak to you as well. A quick reminder of what I mean when I say non-dualist. There are lots of ways to describe God. Some of them are anthropomorphic as a man who makes decisions about the world. Some of them are transcendent about an energy force in the universe that is separate but knowing us. And then there's a non-dual approach, among many others, in which we look at the universe and we describe everything as God. That's the way my spirituality is expressed. And the way that we're going to be discussing these high holiday prayers is through that lens. So what are the most iconic pieces of liturgy that come to mind when you think of the Jewish high holidays? Even if you don't know their names, there's a good chance that you'll recognize the ones I'm about to mention. I think of Avinu Malkenu, the litany of requests made of Our Father, Our King, in a musical delivery written by Janowski that cannot be mistaken. I think of Unatanatokef, the prayer that asks the question, who shall live and who shall die, and sets up the model of God judging each of us in our turn. I think of Ashamnu, when we fold our hands up into a fist and we beat our chests in a communal confession of sins. And of course, it wouldn't be the holidays without the words of Kol Nidre, the haunting melody on Yom Kippur evening, when we ask for understanding from God if it turns out that we cannot meet the promises we make in the coming year. There are so many more that could have been on this list, but these are the four that I'm going to tackle, one per week over the course of this month. And my hope is that you'll see the way that I personally go about utilizing prayers that speak of a God that I have not known while I still preserve a sacred relationship to the God that I have experienced on these days that are deeply meaningful to me. It's a technique of real-time translation. It takes a bit of practice, but over the last few years, it has allowed me to find meaning in the prayer that was never available before that. I found language that speaks of a separate God who listens for my properly delivered words. I found this to be an obstacle, and I had trouble connecting to it. Now my panentheistic theology embraces reality as God and myself as a sacred piece of that, and I've found a new way to relate to liturgy that feels authentic and meaningful. If you find something in the course of this series that speaks to you, I'd suggest that you write it down, put the thought on a piece of paper, and then bring that with you to shul. And when we arrive at the particular prayer, pull out that note and refresh yourself about the idea that you liked. And then in real time, hear the prayers that you've known for years in a completely new frame. And so now we begin this first of a series 
with the prayer Avinu Malkinu. To begin with, let's translate just those two words. Traditionally, in the gendered language of Hebrew, it would be our father, our king. But of course, in this modern moment where we recognize that uh, language can be limiting and distracting, we have made more sensitive that terminology and is usually translated now as our parent, our sovereign. It can be seen as a juxtaposition, those two monikers of one God. One is intimate and the other is awe-inspiring. A parent is close. Sovereign is powerful and distant. It sounds like really dualistic language. In the material world of Asiyah, both those personalities are outside of us and interact with us as an individual presence. But a non-dualist like me stretches the metaphor of God as parent and God as sovereign to include both the yesh and the ain of reality, the corporeality and the transcendent. As a parent, God's proximity is obvious. I can reach out and I can touch it. Just as I am a direct product of my parent, so I am directly connected to the material of the world around me. I, my body, am made of the same elements. I begin from the same place, the Big Bang. I am ever-changing from one form into another, even if it is very, very slowly. And now that I'm a parent, I understand parenthood differently. I understand my own parents anew. There's less mystery to them. I am more identified with them as a different form of myself. Avinu, I know you because I am you. I know my parents in this way. And I know the trees and the wind and the stars in this same way. I am them. The materiality of me is sacred in the fact that it is so completely unremarkable. Now we turn our mind to the next name, Malkenu, our sovereign. When we see ourselves as we are nothing more than the tiniest speck of matter that will be gone quicker than the blink of a geological second, something remarkable happens next. We realize that we are thinking the thoughts, that there is a you who knows that you are happening. And this should be a relief. There's something marvelous about transcending reality, but there's also comfort in coming back to your body. Chanenu va'anenu, favor us and answer us. Help us understand and identify this holy element of ourselves. When we do, when we see how special we are, the next order of feeling might be one of gratitude. There are a lot of forms known to our world, but beyond the human, there are none that we know of that can think our way into holy behavior. I feel grateful not to have been created as a rock or a tree or a beetle. Not that they're less holy than me. They are just as holy as me, but they can't think that. Only I can. With this incredible blessing right in front of my eyes, 
I feel greatly indebted to use my free will to make a positive difference and an impact on the world. Like a servant who wishes to serve the ruler, I see the universe as Malkenu, and it makes me want to go out and get to work. But then, a difficult question. How much does our work really matter? The next line of Avinu Malkenu says in Hebrew, Ki ein banu ma'asim, for there is nothing to our efforts. Rabbi Alan Liu of Blessed Memory wrote a book called This is Real and You Are Completely Unprepared. It's a primer for approaching the high holidays. And what he wrote in there is that our deeds suddenly become understood as though they're nothing. He writes, Now that we're standing in the face of this immense reality, we realize that there is nothing we can do about it, that all our deeds are as nothing. We realize that we have greatly overestimated our cleverness and our potency. We have overestimated the efficacy of our conscious behavior, and we have underestimated the persistence and the depth of our destructive tendencies. What are we? What is our life? What is our goodness? He writes. These are the questions that we ask constantly and specifically at this very moment. It is this moment that we might find ourselves ready for transcendence, to step beyond the neshama that is so concerned with what we ourselves are and allow ourselves to move into the chaya consciousness of connection to the greater oneness, the oneness that the Shema refers to, Adonai Echad, Yah is everything. The mystics call this moment Bitul Hayesh, the nullifying of that egoistic focus on ourselves. It's when we step beyond our own self and our own sense of importance. When we get there, the next line that comes back to us is Ase Imanu Tzedaka Vachesed Vehoshienu, which translates into something like God, do acts of justice and kindness with us. This is how we will redeem ourselves. Moshe Cordovero makes a strong point of this, telling us that we are made in the divine image. That's our corporeal nature, our bodily form, and in the divine likeness. That is the essence of ourselves. And if you believe, as I do, that God is the sum total of reality, then the notion of being made in God's image presents no conflict. Everything is made in God's image. But to act godly is another matter. Our material selves are naturally a part of God, but our behavior that's up to us. When we tell of God's ability to be patient, it should be heard as a reminder that we should strive to embody that example. When we tell of God's remarkable forgiveness and ability to move forward, this is to encourage us to remember that this is exactly what we should try to do as well. So these four lines, in wrapping up, have a general flow that I'd like to go over once more and after that, I'll turn to 
closing this with a recording of Cantor Micah singing Avinu Malkenu with our High Holiday Choir from a few years ago. Maybe you'll take this new way of looking at it uh, and listen to it. And if you find it meaningful and need to practice again before the holiday, you can listen to the song as many times as you wish. Going back over it, we might start by thinking of our breath. Moving toward intimacy, pulling back in awe, breathing in and breathing out, we repeat. Avinu, our parent, breathe in. I know you intimately. As you are the universe, I am a part of that universe. I am nothing more than dust and ashes. Malkenu, sovereign of the universe, exhale. I am amazing. And what a shame it would be to waste the potential I have been born into. I want to serve and to make the most of this life I'm living. The world was created for me. Chanenu, breathe in. Be gracious to us, God, as an intimate parent should be. Va'anenu, breathe out. Send us an answer, as if you are an authority to educate us. Now back to transcendence again. Kien banu ma'asim, breathe in. I remember that I'm little that I could live for a hundred years and nothing I do will ever matter in the grand scale of the universe. And while that may be true, and I am little, I can make a difference in my life and the lives of those other holy souls around me. And finally, ase imanu, tzedakah v'chesed v'hoshienu, exhale, teach me to model myself after the most important qualities that are within my reach, the qualities our ancestors ascribed to you, God, justice, compassion, and a sense of redemption from the occasional wave of powerlessness that we might all feel at times. Avinu, breathe in. Malkenu, breathe out. Chanenu, breathe in. Va'anenu, breathe out. Kien banu ma'asim, breathe in. Ase imanu, sadaka vachesed vahoshienu, and breathe out. I'm really glad that you've chosen to spend this time with me this first day of Elul. The next three episodes will follow a similar format, preparing us each for a specific piece of holiday liturgy. And then I invite you to join me during the programming on Yom Kippur afternoon when I'll be leading a meditation following the main service using a non-dual approach to the day's messages. You can click below for a transcript of what I've shared, and there you'll find links to the materials that I mentioned. And if you enjoyed this and want to be notified of new episodes as they come out, just click on the subscribe button and be sure to share this with others that you know will enjoy the spirituality of it as well. Until next time, all you heretics out there, stand proud. <laughs>